This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. There's no ROI on TMI. That's why TD Ameritrade created a learning experience that will actually learn with you. Curated from their vast library of exclusive content, it customizes to fit your investing goals, interests, and needs, so you get exactly the information you need and none of the information you don't. Get started at tdameritrade.com education. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com education. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Are we finally getting back to normal or at least a new normal? I mean, today the market acted like a, like a market rather than an amusement park ride with the Dow gaining 260 points, S&P advancing 1.39%, and the NASDAQ climbing 1.65%. I'm calling it a refreshing pace from... The averages keep hanging in there, I think, mostly because the market already crashed. I keep trying to explain this to people. They don't get it. See, we had a crash. We went from Dow 29,000 to Dow 18,000 in a couple of weeks. February and March were hideous. So it's okay that April's giving us a little bounce. Plus, we've had a series of positive earnings reports from the packaged goods, good stocks to the railroads to even a casino in Las Vegas since. I didn't know you could go to one. Next week's a tougher test because it's chock full of tech stocks, including some household names that have run up substantially from their March lows. So it's, it is going to be a true test. And let's just start off with one that you may not even be that familiar with. We're going to hear from NXP Semi, okay, Monday night. Now, this is a chip maker with a window into Apple, which reports on Thursday. You want to listen closely to what they have to say. I think NXP has too much auto exposure to own here, but it's worth focusing on just for the insight into Apple, even if they can't actually mention Apple by name. That's one of the rules, probably. It's like Fight Club. PepsiCo reports on Tuesday morning. Now, we know Coca-Cola saw a big decline in soda post-quarter because the restaurants all shut down, even as home consumption was up. But PepsiCo is more diversified. That's why I've always liked their model more, because they own Frito-Lay. And when people work from home, they can't resist. They snack. And when you snack, you eat Frito-Lay. I bet they put up terrific numbers, maybe even 5% growth if we can really get things growing. It could be a stretch, but it could happen. We also hear from Caterpillar, and it will take a miracle for them to notch a really decent results, given how weak their end markets are. Even though China's rebounding, that's less important for cat than oil and gas, and they're in terrible shape. That's a horrible industry to be levered to. But you know what? The company itself is much more profitable than it used to be on even lower sales. Don't count them out. We know 3M's masks are selling so well that they're almost impossible to find. It's easier to get one from uh, Brioni or Gucci. Oh, this is Ethan. I don't know if they sell masks. But that probably won't matter when they report, because just like Caterpillar, many of their end markets stick. So I foresee a tough quarter. Hey, though, whether you have an N95 from 3M or a mask of any material, please wear it when you leave your house. At work, we all wear masks. I never go outside without a mask. Do it. It's just to protect others, if not yourself. Demand that your company make employees and customers wear masks. Some are embarrassed to wear them. I want to embarrass those who don't. We can't open a market for business without them. Go to Twitter and Jim Cramer and show me your mask. 
Tuesday morning, we also featured two important drug companies, Merck and Pfizer. They should both tell good stories, although last time Merck painted actually a confusing picture of a, a newly configured operation. I know. I, I read the call over for an hour and couldn't figure out what the hell they were really doing. Pfizer was working on a COVID vaccine. They've been playing it close to the vest, but maybe we're not, I've been hearing some good things. Then again, I also hear good things from Johnson Johnson, from Generon, and from the fabulous Glaxo Sanofi Alliance, which may actually have the most going for it. We have both parties, remember. After the close Tuesday, Alpha reports. This kind of one here is that they're trimming the fat. If that's true, we could get a good quarter, even though we know the ad business has not been so great because it's a small medium. That's SM. Small alpha has, you know, with SMB, you see it all the time. That means small, medium sized business. Alphabet has, a, has a, a, a bit of a pattern. The stock tends to get hit after earnings. Then it spends the next three months recuperating. So if you like this one, I recommend putting on half a position before the quarter half after then there's Starbucks. So many people are worried about this one. They assume it's got to be crushed by the pandemic. I say not so fast. Starbucks is a big winner from China's return to growth. Hey, the Wuhan store is open. And here in the United States, it's doing everything it needs to survive. But you don't buy Starbucks for its near-term performance, people. You buy it for its long-term performance. Try to think a little bit further than a couple of days, like when people bought IBM after it went down, or Intel after last night's disaster and today's epiphany. The best quarter next week, well, I'm just going to tell you who it is, okay? It's this right here. It's hiding underneath Alphabet. This is going to be the best one. Advanced micro devices, AMD, Lisa Sue. Think about it. Now they have the best PC processors for people who need to work at home. Uh, NVIDIA is really their only competition in graphics chips for gaming. And they've got a fabulous data center business. They have the hottest chips there is. This is everything right in one company. The last quarter was terrific, yet the stock foolishly got shelled anyway. That was dumb. I told you it was stupid. You made big. Let's hope it goes and gives you another buying opportunity like that again. But you know what? Sometimes, I, I, this time I don't think, I, I think people won't be that stupid this time, uh, and it'll go higher. All right, now, Wednesday morning, ooh, tough one, GE. Uh, here's the stock's basically been cut in half. It's not a 2 for one split since the outbreak. Well, because they've got a huge aerospace exposure. Nobody wants to fl- uh, fly until we get a vaccine. Aerospace used to be the real bright spot here for GE. Uh, they still have some levers to pull. they got some cash coming in. Still, I expect CEO Larry Culp is going to have to, he already pre-announced uh, not-so-hot news. So what I would say is uh, it's a 2021 year. It's a 2021 stock. What do you think? Yeah. After the close, we hear from Facebook and Microsoft. Wall Street loves Microsoft as the anointed winner in tech, while Facebook's widely thought to be faltering because it has so much advertising exposure. For once, I think the conventional wisdom is right, and Microsoft is a better bet of the two because of its Azure cloud unit. Uh, Thursday morning, oh, here's a good one, Kraft Heinz, uh, where we'll find out if the unstoppable force of the best packaged food environment in history can overcome the immovable object of Terrible management. The poor performance of Kraft Times is almost legendary. But I, but I think even, even they can't mess this up. I mean, they're not saying something. It's the gang that couldn't shoot straight versus fish in a barrel. For once, you got to bet on Kraft Times. Thursday night feels like it was designed to break me. Because we hear from both Amazon and Apple. It takes me forever to do. I think Amazon, I mean, read through them. I think Amazon's in great shape, but the stocks run so much that they may have trouble clearing that incredibly high bar they've set for themselves. Uh, That said, I wouldn't put it past them. I mean, you don't hire 175,000 people because you don't have a lot of business. How about Apple? Katie Uberty, the fantastic analyst who covers the stock for Morgan Stanley, says the setting right now is good for Apple. While this is a bit of a meaningless quarter, what lies ahead of them is 5G and an ever-burgeoning service revenue stream that I think many people under quarantine have been sampling. Don't forget, this market loves companies that can still raise their dividends and buy big back, buy back big chunks of stock, 
without borrowing any money or needing to borrow any money. I should say that's Apple because they have borrowed money. This is the perfect time to have a ridiculous amount of cash on your balance sheet. Now, Apple was up big today. I don't want if it keeps happening right to Thursday, then obviously the setup will not be ideal. Then there's Gilead. Oh, is this controversial. Earlier this week, we got a report out of China that suggested that their antiviral drug remdesivir did more harm than good in treating COVID-19. And the sort of story was this thing was killing so many people. We had to stop the trial, even though previously they said the reason why they stopped the trial is because they ran out of patients. And previously before that, they said they didn't need it. Previously before they just attacked Gilead. Do you get my picture? Meanwhile, my sources continue to insist that when hospitals catch the disease early enough, remdesivir is their, is their approved drug. I mean, it's the one that they give it a try. And that the trials are actually going okay. Who's telling the truth? Maybe we find out. Maybe that's what Gilead is waiting for when they report. Either way, I, I, I'm no fan of the way China's handled themselves when it comes to this. Oh, by the way, I'm not a big fan of WHO either on that. Can Estee Lauder keep delivering against all odds when it reports on Friday morning? They have a lot of exposure to Southeast Asia, which is the one region that's bouncing back from the virus. If people over there are buying makeup now and there's, if the influencers are back, I think the stock can actually rally. It, the stock's really low. Good risk reward. How about Honeywell? All right, they got a decent amount of aerospace exposure, but that may be offset by their other businesses, and the company's incredibly well run. I predict solid numbers and a nice buying opportunity. Finally, we've got two of my faves that we own for the charitable trust, Colgate and Clorox. I'm betting they both surprise to the upside, especially Clorox, given that the whole world's now on a cleanliness kick and it's so hard to find the stuff. The bottom line, next week's tough enough without gloves and masks. And by the way, I am begging you, please, 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 Wear them outside if you go outside. If only, listen to me, if only just to protect other people, okay? Just to protect other people. Forget about yourself. Don't be selfish. I love it when I see your mask. Tweet it to me, at Jim Cramer. Come on. Let's do our part. The government's not helping, but you and I can do the right thing. Ryan in North Carolina. Ryan. Booyah, Mr. Kramer from Booyah, North Carolina. What's going on? Hey, thank you for all the hard work you do and your wisdom, which makes us home gamers much more confident in investing. We're not stopping. I'm even working Sunday night. I'm giving a lecture 92nd Street Y, one of them virtual things. I'm not stopping until everybody does the right thing mask-wise either. Let me tell you, look at that mask this guy has. Okay, we don't even have enough cameras anymore to show people masks. See, this is what I'm talking about. Will wears a mask. You put your mask on. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's a little uh, soliloquy there. What's up? That's okay. That's okay. A little over a month ago, you recommended putting about 10% of our portfolios in gold. I did that. I put it in Barrick Gold, made a 50% gain, took half my position off the table. Should I be looking long-term with what I've got left? You bet you keep the rest. You bet you did. Thank you for listening. Yeah, that... Yeah, that's Barrick. Remember that guy, Dr. Mark Briscoe? He called me a sissy because I didn't want to mine in, China, in, uh, Af- in Africa. That guy has game. I almost said something else, but I'm on TV. It, that's a good stock. I want you to hold on to it. Lisa in Indiana, look at that nice mask she got. Look at this. This is a designer mask. And, and yeah, yes, and Heather Gaines, if we would go to the control room, she's got a beautiful influencer mask. Go ahead. Let's go on, Lisa. Hi, Jim. A speeding Indy 500 in August. Booyah. Yes. Let's Thanks go to work. taking my call. Etsy is an original work-at-home company with their business supply chains in place pre-COVID-19. Businesses were quick to switch products making masks during the crisis. Etsy is currently spending $5 million to promote its platform. 
I just want to tone at the end of February, with Etsy rising 60% in the past month, it's nearing a 52-week high. Do you think the platform will retain existing new customers once the stay-at-home guidelines are relaxed? I think that <laughs> Shopify is doing better, okay? Um, but Etsy, by the way, Etsy, thank you so much for what you're doing for Mass. I did not know we were going to get that call because Etsy's been unbelievable for Mass. But uh, it's, it's a good it's good. They've had some execution issues, but you know I like them. But Shopify is the most unbelievable company. Uh, a large, uh, let's just say it's a true juggernaut. But I like Etsy, too. All right. The market was pretty normal today. What a refreshing change of pace. I did, It was great. I almost took my mask off. I felt so confident. Sorry. Oh, man, money tonight. I spotted a bright spot in the oil industry, Glenn. Don't miss my story with Nordic American tankers. It's no longer Natty Dread. And you'll find out what the current environment means for the company. That alcohol sales are surging double digits here in the U.S. and are elevated globally. What does it mean for a company like Boston Beer Company? I'm taking a look after earnings. And across the country, meatpacking plants are shutting down because of the coronavirus. Could it create more opportunity for plant-based meat like Impossible Foods? Stay with Kramer and show me your mask. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. Look, I keep telling you, you can't extrapolate from that crazy action the oil futures we had earlier this week. But there's one big real world takeaway. We've got enough storage and we run out of storage. That's great news for who? The oil tanker stocks. The price of crude today is much lower than the price of crude out a couple of years because we know demand is going to come back when this lockdown is over and we beat this thing. So if you've got the cash, this is a great time to buy some oil and just sit on it until it prices well, let's say the rebound, which we know could occur. The problem is you can't just dump oil in your backyard. You need a place to put it and start your swimming pool, which brings me to the tanker companies. Thanks to the lack of storage space, they're able to charge much more for the use of their ships as gigantic storage tanks, and that allows them to pay big dividends. Of course, it's all temporary. Tank, tanker stocks, they are about as volatile as stocks can get. But if you time it right, they can be very lucrative. Ask the people who bought this stock, Nordic American Tanker, when it was at three bucks a few weeks ago. That's right. It's doubled over the past month. And for the moment, it's got a monster 9.6 percent yield. So how long can this last? Let's check in with Herbie Orn Hansen, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Nordic American Taggers, NAT, and a longtime friend of the show whom we haven't seen in ages. Herbie Orn, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you very much, Jim, and it's such great thing to be with you. You can see that uh, I'm sitting in front of two big tankers, Nordic American and the Nordic Amer- and the American flag on the top of these two tankers. I'm uh, t- uh, one hour outside Oslo, Norway. 
Well, there you go. Uh, you're colorful. If, if, if not just that, then what you I need to ask you right now, sir. HH. What's focus? What's that? Can I can I borrow? Can I rent a tanker for a week from the biggest fleet in the world from your fleet? I'd like a week. Can I have it? You can have it, but it would be very costly. I doubt if you uh, can afford it, you know, but uh, you can have it. Uh, We are making a lot of money at this time, improving our uh, balance sheet tremendously. And and I have never seen such a strong market, Jim. And I've been around for a little while. All right. So how much how much a day for a nice one? Give me a Suez Max. How much a day? Uh, well, it will cost you $70,000 a day, uh, about, and you will have it for six months. And our uh, operating costs are $8,000 a day. And then uh, you will have uh, more than $60,000 a day for your pocket. And this will give you a lot of dividend. So let me, uh, let me understand this. On Tuesday, someone was going to pay to give away oil, $37 a barrel. Why didn't I just contact you and let that guy pay me a, a lot of money for oil and then give it to you? Well, uh, you know, we don't speculate in oil. We uh, s- speculate in carrying oil. And that's a different story. And, and my point is that I prioritize dividends. That is the thing. And I don't take risk I don't have to take. We have a strong market, and this is the strongest market I've seen in my lifetime. And I've been around for quite a while. Okay, so why wouldn't you pay down all your debt before you uh, give these big dividends? We don't have a lot of debt at all. We have uh, uh, borrowed money in America, and we will be debt-free. We were debt-free a few years ago, and there is no doubt on my mind that we shall uh, become debt-free again. We will have the strongest balance sheet in the industry. We will have the best dividend in the industry, and we have a strong market in front of us. And fourthly, uh, Jim, we have the biggest customers in the world, ExxonMobil, British Petroleum, Shell Oil, Statoil Equinox all the big boys, and they can say to you, based on my experience, these big uh, oil companies, they're some of the best companies in the world. Now, uh, how many of your tankers are rented by hedge funds? Hedge funds? Hedge funds, uh, they don't uh, own anything with us at all. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I-, I borrowed all my money in America mm-hmm. with a good friend of mine, up in Dallas, uh, uh, and uh, he has lent me all money, and uh, I have an excellent cooperation with him. The hedge funds, they have no uh, place in our organization, but I have an excellent relationship with them. All the money guys, but, you know, often it's difficult to see what they wish to do, and I am in doubt from time to time whether they understand this business. Understood. Now, uh, oil prices have come down a lot. The demand in America is not that great. Where is the demand? Is this one of those situations where it's the United States' loss and perhaps China's gain? China is the winner of this game. China, Korea, Malaysia, Japan. And I hate to say 
that America is the loser. We like America to be the policeman of the world. And uh, that was your role in the past. And I have the greatest admiration for America. But now you have withdrawn a little bit and uh, because it's so expensive for you right. to be the policeman of the world and China is taking your role. Oh, geez, Herb Norton, I can't let you end it like that. You have, you have my friend Jim Kelly's your vice chairman. I have a long relationship with you. You know our country's going to come back. That is, this is a temporary setback in energy. I agree with you. I agree with you very much so. But, uh, you know, in business, you have what you call the black swan. That's something unexpected that's happening. And uh, to be very uh, honest, my understanding is that America is not prepared for what's happening now with all this uh, virus thing. But America is very resilient and America is always coming back. I mean, I have a good reason for uh, having the name of Nordic American Shipping. Right. That is because I have the greatest admiration for America. All right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, you've got a good dividend. You obviously have the right fleet. Uh, you're, uh, it's just great to have you back on the show. And I'm so glad you said those good things about America because we are resilient and we will come back. Herb Bjorn Hansen. And I can tell you, we are making tons of money. Yeah, you are at that. Herb Bjorn Hansen, Nordic American Tankers Chairman CEO, who once offered one of his tankers for me to get married on. But my wife said that perhaps we ought to... Uh, well, she was worried about the smell, frankly. Man, money's back here for the break. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. When is an earnings disappointment not an actual disappointment? When there's something big going on underneath that, make, that more than makes up for lower than expected headline numbers. Yep, even in an unforgiving market, sometimes Wall Street's willing to make an exception. Consider the case of Boston Beer, the parent company of Sam Adams, and truly the hard seltzer, which reported a seemingly suboptimal quarter on Wednesday night. Boston Beer posted a big 53-cent earnings miss off of a $1.92 basis, with somewhat weaker than anticipated sales that were still up more than 31% year-over-year. Worse, like so many other businesses, the guys pulled their full-year forecast. From the headline numbers, you'd think this was going to be an ugly quarter and the stock would be down. They'd be cut down by a third. The company had all sorts of higher costs to cope with the pandemic, which is why the stock initially did get hit yesterday morning. At one point, it was down 7%. But as the session went on, Boston Beer gradually clawed its way back into positive court uh, territory and ultimately closed up 2%. I love situations like that where you literally 
It was for the asking. Why? What turned it around? I think people read the conference call transcript and realized the business is much better than it looked in the headline numbers. While Boston Beer has problems, many of them are extremely high-quality problems. When you drill down the company's depletions, the number of cases they sold increased by an amazing 36% year-over-year. That's an incredible number and a major acceleration versus 2019. Actual shipments were up 32.2%. Now, a lot of this is being driven by the strength of their truly hard seltzer brand, something we've talked about before and happens to be something that I like very much on a hot day when I used to have a beer. I now have truly. Well, when I garden, can you garden with COVID? I think so. Anyway, in fact, there's so much demand for this stuff that Boston Beer is straining to fulfill it which was a major contributor to the earnings miss, they had to bring in third-party manufacturers to keep people supplied, and that's putting pressure on their margins. High-quality problem. In a world where demand has just vanished for so many things, the alcohol industry is in surprisingly good shape. Remember, we heard that the other day from Constellation, which is Modelo. Sure, they're not selling much to shut down restaurants or bars, but there's a whole lot more demand from people who are stuck at home. To borrow a line from FDR, what America needs right now is a good, stiff drink or maybe a hard seltzer. Now, the last time Boston Beer reported back in mid-February, they also disappointed. And for the same reason, they were desperately spending money to build out production capacity for truly hard seltzer and a couple other growth brands uh, like uh, a Twisted Tea and Dogfish Head Beer. Then the pandemic started and the stock got obliterated. Initially, many investors worried about alcohol sales in the world where, of course, all the bars are closed. Although Bar San Miguel, you can have takeout. Coming into the quarter yesterday, Boston Beer had already made up those losses as the market came roaring back and other players in the booze space reported healthy numbers. So the stock had run going into the earnings, and that's one reason why it sold off first. But man, once you really dug into the meat of this quarter, there was a lot to like. According to CEO Dave Berwick, since early January, Truly has continued to grow its velocity and has maintained its market share while other national hard seltzer brands have seeded share, end quote. And that's both the original hard seltzer and the new hard lemonade version of the product. They're eating everybody's lunch with this stuff. Obviously, it's not all perfect. Sam Adams and Angry Orchard sales are still on the decline. They're more exposed to bars and restaurants. The pandemic's forced them to spend a lot more money on safety protocols, including entrance screening, temperature checks, face mask requirements, yes, and more cleaning time. That's exactly what they should be doing, though. They're selling far fewer kegs and far more bottles. Not great. Margins on kegs are higher. Still, we know COVID-19 would take its toll on the numbers. What we didn't know were some of the incredible positives. Berwick points out, quote, Drinkers, de- drinker demand for our brands continues to be very strong, particularly our truly and twisted tea brands, end quote. And what about the coronavirus that took the world by storm? Although there's no guidance, Burwick breaks down the quarter into pre and post corona periods. During January and February, Boston beer saw 32 percent. Uh, growth and depletions, and then listen to this snippet. We saw a further acceleration in demand for our brands beginning in the second half of March. Boom! Boston Beer belongs to the elite group of companies that saw their sales spike during the lockdown. And I am developing my own personal ETF, I'm not going to try to make money off of it, that has the winners, and this has now got to be in one of them. What else? We knew Truly was on fire. We didn't know its sales had tripled in the last 13 weeks. In fact, they've been taking share here month after month after month. The only hard seltzer brand to pull that off. White Claw's the big daddy of the spike uh, seltzer space, but on conference call, Berwick explained that Truly has a younger, wealthier customer base, which is exactly what we want to see. Even better, from February to March, as the outbreak shut down the country, Truly's penetration doubled. 
Repeat business grew by 25%. Burrow points out that with so many people bringing it home, Truly's being introduced to lots of new consumers. Apparently, 41% of the people who tried it the last month were new to the brand. Over the last four weeks, he says the total hard seltzer household penetration has grown to 7.7%. He thinks it could be 8, 9, 10% of beer during this period. What about the production problems I alluded to? According to CFO Frank Smola, quote, we have put in a new line in Pennsylvania, which is coming on stream pretty much now. But the volume continues to outpace our capability. So it was pretty pretty clear that Q1 was going to be a quarter where we have significantly more external production, end quote. That's a major cost. And while they don't provide guidance on how much is external, Smola was confident they get better at boosting capacity internally. In addition, James Koch, who's the founder and chairman, he mentioned that Boston Beer might have a chance to buy up some overextended craft breweries here. He said they'd be opportunistic. However, they, that won't solve the pro- production problems. They don't, don't need more keg capacity or more bottle capacity. They need canning capacity, which is not something craft breweries is, is that typically have. I think that's some. Cans are too pedestrian for these guys. Cost makes it sound like it might be easier to add some canning capabilities uh, internally. Put it all together and you got a company that's mostly coping with covid Aside from one very high-quality problem, their hard seltzer brand is so popular that they need to outsource a lot of the production. But Boston Beer has a plan for that, and they've got the cash to pull it off. So I think Boston Beer, the business works here. All those Zoom happy hours add up. The boozy lunches, the boozy brunches. What about Boston Beer, the stock, though? Unfortunately, stocks rallied substantially. At these levels, the stock sells for 34 times next year's earnings, and it's brushing up against the levels where it peaked last summer. But after going over that conference call, I can't help myself. you got my busting startup position here, and if it pulls back, you buy some more. Bottom line, not everything that looks like a miss is a genuine disappointment. The headlines are often untruthful. Boston Beer failed to meet the numbers. But when you drill down into what's happening underneath, I think this business is in fabulous shape, and the stock deserves to be bought, especially if we get any kind of market-related pullback. Michael in New Jersey. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Young investor looking for some advice. You got it. All right. I'm looking at this one company who reports their earnings next week. Um, They own Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. Young brands. Well, you know, Young has got, they're not not doing that well in the pizza business. They're doing doing a lot of national advertising. Uh, Taco Bell's doing well. Uh... You know, I, I can't see okay. Look, the stock is down a lot. Uh, they have the balance sheet to be able to stay, stick around. I still prefer Chipotle even up here, though. And I know, uh, but I, I have always been a fan of Yum, but I like Chipotle up here. Don't forget, Brian Nickel is from Taco Bell. He's the CEO of Chipotle. How about Dave in Michigan? Dave. Hey, Jim. Happy Friday, and thank you for taking my call. Oh, my um, Of course. Uh, along with Radar O'Reilly's love of grape knee-high, my girls and I also enjoy many of the brands under the Keurig Dr. Pepper umbrella, which is scheduled to announce earnings on Monday. I know. With Keurig's seemingly ubiquitous presence in offices, homes, and hotels, coupled with its established beverage lineup, what is your recommendation of KDT? And I love Cam Gord, the CEO. He was on the board of Bucknell, or my wife's on the board, and... I'm so torn. I don't know. I, mean, I got the new Keurig that he told us to get, which has got the, the left side is the you know, actual brew and the right side is the regular Keurig. But in the end, I, I worry about the soda business because of how what Coca-Cola said about the soda business. So right now I'm on hold. I'm on hold. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to recommend it so badly, but I'm just on hold. Let's go to Glenn in Michigan. Glenn. Hi, Jim. Glenn, first time caller. All Big right. Good. From Michigan. All right. 
Wingstop. I bought it IPO, never mm-hmm. sold any. Keep seeing alerts on the net that's overrated and to sell it. What do you think for the long run? I think people who say it's overrated and sell it, see, they all share one thing in common. They're knuckleheads. This thing is amazing. It is. I'm sorry, Jimmy Chill. They're ill-advised. This thing is exactly what you want in, in COVID town. You go, you bring it home, your home's nice and clean, you can take your mask off when you walk in your house. I'm not against that. You don't need to keep your mask on when you're in your house. But I think that Wingstop is just, I mean, nothing's made. I don't want to make light of this as a horrible illness, but Wingstop is a perfect stock. And the guys who say it's overvalued, they don't understand what zeitgeist means for a company. Wingstop's in the right spot. Not everything that looks like a miss is a genuine disappointment. I think Boston Beer is in good shape because of this. And I may take this. No, I don't. I have iced tea. Anyway, uh, buy on a pullback. Much more mad money at Beyond Meats up 9% just today, making it the best week ever. It's gaining 40%. Well, you know, all those problems with the Tyson food and stuff. Can private player Impossible Foods keep up with the competition? We need to know more about this business so you don't want to miss my sit down. Then I've got a memo to executives reporting earnings. Go watch some old NFL games. I'll explain why. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. happens if there's an actual meat shortage? Over the last few weeks, COVID-19 has forced companies like Smithfield and Tyson Foods to shut down some major meat processing facilities. We could be looking at shortages or at least much higher prices. Uh, not yet. Not yet, but in the distant, not too distant future. Now, this is not a great situation for carnivores, but maybe this is an opportunity for the plant-based meat alternative plays. See, there's a reason why Beyond Meat's formerly down in the dump stock has rallied more than 60% this month. But what about the other major player in the plant-based meat space, Impossible Foods? This is a privately held company that apparently just raised a half a billion dollars in a fundraise that had the company at $4 billion. That's up from $2 billion last May. Now, Impossible is a bit different from Beyond Meat. For example, they use, uh uh-oh, genetically modified organisms, also known as GMOs, which may turn some people off. Although the consensus seems to be that it makes for a better taste in product. Impossible is also more reliant on restaurant sales, which is not great right now. Though they're working to build out their supermarket distribution. So with the traditional meat business hobbled by the pandemic, let's take a closer look at the plant-based meat business with David Lee. He's the chief financial officer of Impossible Foods. Mr. Lee, welcome to Mad Money. Oh, it's great to be here, Jim. Thanks for having us. All right. So, David, I first had my my impossible burger when I went to see a San Francisco Giants game uh, last year, Mother's Day. And it was just delicious. And I said, you know what? This is a fabulous showcase. They got to get them out in restaurants, see them like this. Now I'm wondering, without the showcase, because so many places are closed, are you still able to get the word out as well? Well, the word has gone out already, Jim. You know, we are on the march in grocery. We announced this week that we are going to be at 500% more locations, a 5x increase. Soon we'll be at 1,000 grocery locations. And the home chef, just like the, the, in, uh, the restaurateur, enjoys this impossible burger because it's craveable and delicious, but it makes you feel better about your health and your impact on the world. Now, how about this? these problems with these? Uh, we saw uh, there's a Tyson plant that's closing, the Smithfield. Now, uh, we listened to Dr. Gottlieb, former head of the FDA, and he said, listen, you shouldn't be afraid of getting COVID from those different uh, packing." But at the same time, I think America says, you know what? Maybe the problem is 
uh, the packing houses and I want to be with plant based. Are you seeing or hearing that kind of chatter? Well, I mean, 95 percent of our consumers are hardcore self-avowed meat eaters, and they're choosing the impossible burger and hopefully soon impossible pork made from plants because they want a craveable, delicious piece of meat and they're meat eaters. But they don't want to feel guilty about the fact that their current choice has cholesterol or has an impact on the world. We think meat eaters are waking up to the fact that impossible burger and impossible pork is a better choice, one that hits the spot hits all the craveability, but at the same time makes them feel better about who they are. Okay, so let's talk about the GMO issue. Uh, I ate an Impossible Burger, and then candidly, I had a second one. I mean, I shouldn't have done it because I'm trying to leave. It isn't like there's no weight involved. But uh, my daughter said in the middle of it, she says, Dad, do these have GMOs? And I said, yes, they do. And she goes, do you think they taste better because of GMOs? Because I prefer not to eat G- G- uh, GMOs if I can. Is it better tasting in, for most people? And give me what you think about the idea that a GMO, as we know, is, may not be as good as natural. Well, first, the Impossible Burger has the same molecule that Mother Nature makes called heme, H-E-M-E. We think it's one of the only things in the world that can convey craveability and juiciness, deliciousness, if you're eating a piece of meat and you're a meat eater. No one else has figured out how to make heme from plants. The heme we use, we found naturally occurring in plants, but we do make it using genetic modification. We're proud of that, Jim. We are betting that meat eaters are smart. That once they know why food is made the way it is, how it's made on a level playing field, they'll make the right choice. And so far, with the unprecedented demand we're seeing for Impossible, we think meat eaters, well informed by how we make the product, are happily choosing us. Now, how about the distribution end of, uh, of food service? That's got to be hurting right now, correct? Well, there's no question that the COVID crisis has really impacted our restaurant partners. But we've seen them innovate, and we've tried to support them as they innovate. You know, whether it's Burger King that sees a large percent of their business now in drive-through where the Impossible Whoppers enjoyed, to our distributors who are now able to sell our raw product, raw Impossible Burgers, direct to meat eaters at home, so home chefs can cook it up, treat it how they want on their own. Um, So we're seeing innovation in the face of this crisis, and, and we're trying to support both our customers in food service as we move in to being at a nearly thousand locations uh, in retail and your grocer. Well, let's talk about the pork for a second. That would be fabulous. How soon? How soon before we have that? Well, I can only tease the fact that our, our uh, reaction from our customers has been unprecedented. Soon enough, you're going to hear about major partners roll out the impossible sausage product made from plants. But I'll remind you that we have a global mission. You know, pork could be one of the most ubiquitously consumed meat products globally. And with these pandemics, with the swine flu and now the the COVID crisis, we think we need to make products that are not just great for American meat eaters like us, but for the world, for Asia, uh, where people enjoy pork, they enjoy fish, they enjoy beef. We're working hard eventually to offer all those options made from plants. Um, How about some, uh, some chicken tenders? Well, again, we haven't announced any dates for the products that are to come, but I'll tell you, when Pat Brown, our CEO, founded this company in 2011, he did so with an incredibly large ambition to be relevant to meat eaters everywhere, to provide meat made from plants, just as delicious, but better for themselves, the meat eater, and the world, 
wherever meat is consumed. And so we got a lot of work to do, and I wouldn't be surprised if one day you see us offering nearly every meat in our way made from plants. Well, I, look, I think it's a very exciting development. It truly is. I happen to admit, look, I like Beyond, too, but I have to tell you, that Impossible Burger outside watching that giant game of Mother's Day, holy cow, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it was so much better than a regular burger. You're terrific. Thank you so much to David Lee, CFO, Impossible Foods. Stay with Kramer. It is time to the light with the And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lighting round. Because we're going to start with Cal in New York. Carol. Hey, Jim. Uh, I wanted to revisit a company we talked about a while back that, um, that you thought was an excellent one. Uh, INFO. It's been um, trading in 64 to 66 for a few weeks. Um, two questions. Okay. Um, can it thrive in this environment, or is it just not its No, time? no, it's a fintech company, and it's a really good fintech company, and it should be bought. <laughs> okay, it should be bought. Now, is it as good as MSCI? I mean, you know, I got a bunch of them that I really like, PayPal. It's pretty darn good. Let's go to Veronica in California. Veronica. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Your energy is magic. I trust your recent recommendation to resist assuming the new normal, but I'd love to get your insight into the potential for Six Flags to see a post-COVID-19. No, recovery. too hard. Too hard. I mean, you got to have so many things go right, even when there was no such thing as COVID. But there is such a thing as COVID. So, Veronica, we're going to skip that one. Let's go to Tony in Connecticut. Tony! Hey, Jimbo. Big booyah. Right back. Hey, uh... As much of a steal as C.D. Lambworth and the Cowboys, what do you think about uh, Carrier Global? You know, the three pieces, uh, Raytheon, the Carrier, uh, and Otis, I preferred uh, Carrier last, so I'm going to have to say take a pass. Vince in New York. Vince! Jimmy Chill, thanks for having me back on, bud. Chill man likes you. What's up? We spoke on May 4th, right before SWK took a 70-point dive trying to get a temperature. Our SWK reports this week. I like Home Depot more than SWK. Even though Home Depot was up nine points, I still like it. I like it more. SWK might even have some Chinese uh, uh, pricing pressures. Let's go to Zach in Pennsylvania. Zach. Hey, Jim. Thank you for everything that you do. A big fly eagles fly to you. Oh, man. Right back at you. I got to get my eagles mask. I ordered one. It's not here yet. What's going on? Awesome, man. I'd like your long-term view on RSG. My long-term view is different from my short-term view. My long-term view is is that the waste business is good. Short-term view, there is some pricing pressure. I do prefer waste management, WM to Republic. Let's go to Jacob in New York. Jacob. How are we doing, Jim? I'm calling here. First time, long time. Just got my stimulus check in, and I'm wondering what you think about Sherwin-Williams. It's interesting you mentioned that, because I, I said that people get the stimulus check. What they might want to do is be range-bound, home-bound, and paint-bound, and do some painting. I suggested to my wife, Lisa. She said, listen, you know, are you kidding me? You do the painting in the house. <laughs> Good luck. Let's go to Dane in Missouri. Dane. Yo, Jim. Uh, so there's a tech stock that I really like uh, that also has their earnings coming out uh, on Cinco de Mayo. I'm talking about Pinterest. I'd like your take on this stock in two different well, areas. Well, taking a mile, I'm only buying Constellation, STZ. Let's go to Johnny in New York. Johnny. What's up, Kramer? How are you? I am good. How about you, Booyah? I'm actually currently in uh, your state, New Jersey, right now. All right. That's good. So I nibbled on 10 a little bit at 1360. I love you and I love Portnoy. What do you think? 
Portnoy, man. Portnoy, I, he, I, he's now a Davy Day Trade. I, I, I gave him North American Tanker. A Davy Day Trade. I gave it to you three and a quarter. What did you do? You just looked from the sidelines. You know what, Davy? That's what you said to me about football. Get in the game. Now, look, I think Penn National is, is, a, is my favorite in the group other than win. Why? Because of Portnoy. And I think it was such a great buy. And when we can start gambling again, it's going to be all Portnoy because he's really funny and he's a really great guy. Let's go to Peg in California. P, Peg. P. Oh, California. P. I, it's my bad. My bad. P. My bad. P. P. With a T. It's all good. Oh, okay. Booyah. My bad. I, uh, the first time, long time, I just wanted to shout out my dad and my brother. They're sheltering in place in Ohio, and we watch the show every day. All right. Love it. And we jump on uh, Zoom and we chop it up. So I wanted to know you're bringing families together. We really appreciate what you do, sir. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, my stock is Cloudflare. Any- oh, there was a guy down. I mean, I read it. I didn't really think much of it with the downflare. We had a downgrade today at Cloudflare. The guy just basically said, listen, it's the one that's done the best of the pure, uh, and it's the most expensive. I respected the fact that he did say it, was, it, it is expensive, though. So that's the way I'm going to come down on it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Memo to executives. Before you start your earnings conference calls, just go watch some old NFL games. Watch how players burst out of the tunnel, fly out of the field. It's called being jacked. And whoever comes out the most jacked tends to have an advantage. Look, I know it's a terrible time and people are dying. I am glad so many executives are being respectful on their conference calls. But, geez, that that doesn't mean you have to kick off every call on an incredibly somber note that makes us feel like bozos for owning shares in your companies. That's how I felt last night when I listened to, say, the Intel call. It was almost as if management was warning you not to buy. They sounded outright apologetic. I'm not saying they should do cartwheels, but come on, that was a fabulous quarter. If you want to withdraw guidance, just say that nobody knows when the COVID vaccine will be ready. So uh, uh, until we know more, we can't give a meaningful forecast. You don't have to be super apologetic about it. I mean, lots of companies withdrawing their guidance. The future's uncertain. We get it. Everyone should withdraw guidance. Just end guidance. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen. Of course, we do love it. When a company can actually give a forecast, I mean, that's why Johnson Johnson, United Health senior stocks take off. The CEOs hit it out of the park, J&J shading down guidance by hair, UNH maintaining its numbers. They're lucky they're healthcare companies, though. I understand why Intel can't do the same thing. They've got a substantial auto business with Mobileye. But they sounded so, just, I don't know, sorrowful. I mean, it's no wonder the stock temporarily dropped four and a half bucks after the call. That was a mistake, though. You had to know a lot about Intel to realize that they were just being too downbeat themselves. It only rebounded. I felt the same way about Target yesterday. Brian Cornell, the CEO, has transformed this company into one of the three brick-and-mortar survivors, along with Costco and Walmart. He's rolled out an incredible digital offering with great delivery pickup service. We know it's working because in April alone, Target's digital growth was up an astounding 275%. That should have sent the stock to the moon. Instead, no, Cornell got bogged down talking about weaker margins, apparel sales. I mean, are you kidding me? Shopify went to an all-time high on a similar statement. It was almost like Cornell was, again, defensive, maybe. I mean, he has a brilliant digital strategy. It was insane. What should he have done? All right, listen. He should have come in hot. 
talking about how Target's building lifelong customers by taking share from shuttered competitors. Maybe put it a little more diplomatically than that, but get the point across. The lifetime value of a customer who sticks with you is much more important than any short-term margin pressure. I knew not to be downbeat, which is why I screamed at you up and down to buy the stock at Target on Squawk on the Street. You made five quick bucks if you did. You want to know how to do it? Go listen to Rich Allison. He's the talented CEO of Domino's Pizza. Just like Target, Domino's is amazing digital technology, but Rich does a better job of framing it in the conference call. Here's how he walked the line of being mindful of how hurting the small and medium-sized competitors are with his own company, but still doing well. Take a listen. I sure hope we all pull through this together. We've still got a world where you can get your Domino's pizza, but you can also, you know, get your uh, get your food from your local uh, independent restaurant as well. See there, I mean, he said, what can pop it? I want a new level playing field, but he's crushing it. I'm not saying executives should be more promotional. I don't like that, and I'll hit you for that, too. Right now, though, they're being the polar opposite of promotional. That's a mistake. If your company's actually got something positive, if your employees are doing great, if you're executing well, say it. Hammered home. Come in jacked. We got a ton of companies reporting next week. So CEOs, if you're watching, stop apologizing. Stop surrendering the gloom. If you can't come out jacked like a professional football team, hand the mic to someone who can. Stick with Craig. I like to say this bull market somewhere. I promise to find it just for you right here on Man Bunny. I'm Jim Cramer. I'll see you Monday. The CBC special report with Sarah Eisen begins right now. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.